In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So, a few years ago, I began to notice this trend. I noticed that it seemed like pretty much everybody was reading this one book, this rather big book, this biography. And I was confused. Maybe you read it too. But like I said, I'm confused. I don't know why. Why is everybody so interested in Alexander Hamilton? I had no idea. And eventually I did learn about the musical. I found out that that was a thing. Uh, And I think right now it's actually showing at the Fox Theater. Maybe you've gone. Maybe you're going to get tickets. But what struck me during this time was just how big the book was. I think it's something like 818 pages long. I mean, it's huge. There's 42 chapters, endnotes, citations, a bibliography, I think an index as well. It's a doorstopper of a book, really. And, you know, you compare that book to the Gospel of John, man, they look different. St. John's Gospel, in your pew Bibles there, is fewer than 30 pages long. Any footnotes that you see there, any cross-referencing, St. John didn't write that. No, these books look quite a bit different, and the differences are more than that, too. They're written with different purposes. This biography about Alexander Hamilton, I mean, it's written so you get to know Hamilton. You get to understand him, maybe. You learn what he wrote, why he wrote, what he's thinking about, the letters, the the decisions, the duel, uh, and a little bit about American history, too. That's not why St. John wrote, uh, not about Alexander Hamilton, but that's not why he wrote about Jesus either. In fact, St. John tells us why he wrote. Uh, Let me read again those words from our gospel lesson. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote. You see, God has preserved St. John's testimony all these centuries, almost 2,000 years for you, so that today, again, you could hear these words and believe. Now, I should say, St. John's Gospel has history, too. I mean, all the things in there, they really happen. There is some biographical information as well. We learn things about Jesus. Uh, Let me start with chapter 1. I'll give you a few phrases, right? We hear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later, uh, through him all things were made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it goes on in the gospel, right? We see Jesus turn water into wine at that wedding. He heals the sick. He restores the sight of the blind. And at one point, he weeps. Yeah, we even see Jesus cry. So, yeah, we see all this. This is just the tip of the spear. We see so much about Jesus in St. John's gospel. But that's not why he wrote it. John didn't write this gospel to explain to you what Jesus is like. He didn't write his gospel to explain the historical circumstances. John testifies to these things so that you would believe. And sometimes, you and I, we forget this. Sometimes, you and I treat the gospel of John and really all of the scriptures like it's just 
a history book, historical documents, things that happen, like we've got in our hands a biography of God. And certainly, like I said, there is history in that book. We do get all these biographical insights into who God is, but that's not what this book is for. You see, we have the Bible, we have the scriptures for so much more than this. The Word of God creates and sustains your faith. That faith that gives you life in Jesus' name. It's so much more than history or biography. And when we think about the Bible like it's just a history book or some biography, it actually causes a big problem. You see, treating it like it's just history or biography, that encourages us to explain rather than confess. Instead of confessing our faith, we find ourselves trying to prove it. Now, I think that this, this encouragement, this feeling that we have to prove the faith, I think this might be why so many of you, and, and I should say myself included, but I think this is why you and I, we can be afraid to share our faith. We can feel like we're just not able to do it. Because imagine if sharing your faith meant you had to explain it all. Imagine if it meant you had to prove your faith to everybody you shared it with. That's overwhelming. How can you do that? How are you supposed to go to your unbelieving neighbor and convince him or her that Jesus rose from the dead? How are you supposed to talk to your friends, your coworkers, even family members that are agnostic, that, that just can't accept the faith? How are you supposed to prove to them that this guy is risen? Some of you, you've probably tried to do this. I know that I have. Back when I taught high school, I had this student, this agnostic student of mine, and he and I would have all kinds of discussion over the course of a year. And in these discussions, I was trying to prove the faith to him. I'd, I'd be giving him all this evidence, trying to show him that it is reasonable, that it makes sense that Jesus rose from the dead. We had these discussions for a year, and over the course of the year, he, he barely budged. He just he didn't buy it. I, I even read the scriptures with him. You know, I tried to read the word of God to him, and it, it didn't magically make him believe. Fr frankly, I was kind of bummed out. Now I should say, I, I'm not... I'm not upset that I did this. I mean, I think it is a good thing that I gave reasons for the hope that I have. And you and I should explain the faith. You and I should be teaching the Word of God to people. But in my haste to defend the truth, to prove the scriptures to this student, I started treating the Word of God like it was just a history book. It's true that Jesus rose from the dead. Of course, it's history and it also happened. But think about what we do during Easter. That call and response that we keep giving each other. What do we say? He is risen. Present tense, right now. You and I, we live in the right now. Right now, Jesus is risen. 
Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now, Jesus is Lord of all creation. And you and I, we're waiting for him to come back. That's the right now. Now, how do you know this? You know this because you've been taught it, right? It's been explained to you by your parents, by teachers, by pastors. You know this because the Word of God has told you as you've read it, you've studied, you've meditated on it. You know that Jesus is your risen Lord, that he's coming back. But why do you believe it? This, I think, is a very important question. Why do you believe it? You don't believe that Jesus is your risen Lord because it's been explained to you. That's not how faith works. For example, let's take the story in our gospel lesson. We have the disciple who we know is doubting Thomas. Although in John's telling, I don't know if you noticed, it's a little more, I don't know, emphatic, forceful than that. He's the Thomas that, unless I see you, unless I touch Jesus, I will never believe. He's the, uh, will never believe Thomas, I guess, here. But Rather than pay attention to him, I want you to pay attention to what the other disciples do. See, they see Jesus. He appears to them, and Thomas isn't there. So when they see Thomas, what do they do? They tell him. They confess, Thomas, we have seen the risen Lord. And Thomas tells them, well, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I, I will never believe. And in John's story, in John's telling, what did the disciples do? Nothing. You see, the disciples, they don't need to prove to Thomas that Jesus rose. They don't need to explain it to him. No. They've confessed the truth. Now they'll let Jesus take care of it. They'll let Jesus do the convincing. You know, if I could talk to that former agnostic student of mine again, I think I'd talk a lot more about the right now. I think I would confess the faith. It's Jesus is Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, is risen from the dead, and he's coming back soon. And by believing in him, I have life in his name now and forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Good. I hope so. And by believing that, you're ready. You're ready to share your faith with this world. You're ready to tell that friend, neighbor, coworker about Jesus. And you don't have to prove it to them. You don't have to explain how Jesus rose from the dead, how he's Lord of all, how he's coming back. No. You just have to confess it. And you let Jesus take care of the rest. Let's end the sermon today with a little practice here. Because, you know, I, I've heard it said, I'm sure you have too, Lutherans, I guess we aren't really known for our evangelism, our ability to share the faith. We're, we're not the white shirt, black tie sort of people, the knock on doors sort of evangelizers. And some have even criticized us farther, saying that Lutherans don't focus, maybe don't even care about equipping everybody in the sanctuary, everybody in the church to go share the faith. And I just don't buy that. I don't think it's true. I think every single Sunday, you're being prepared 
to confess your Lord to this world, to tell your neighbor about Jesus. But, especially during this Easter season, I don't know if you realize this, but we Lutherans run a little bit of an evangelism program here. We have this program where we practice confessing our faith, confessing that Jesus is risen. So, like I said, let's end today with a little bit of practice. Alleluia! Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And now and forever, you have life in his name. Amen.